Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. Dina Alexander is with me today. She's the founder and president of Educate and Empower Kids. You can find the link to their website on this podcast, or it's also educateempowerkids.org. It's an organization determined to strengthen families by teaching digital citizenship, media literacy, and healthy sexuality education, including education about the dangers of online porn. She is the creator of Noah's New Phone, a story about using technology for good, Petra's Power to See, a media literacy adventure, Messages About Me, a journey to healthy body image, how to talk to your kids about pornography, and the 30 Days of Sex Talks and 30 Days to a Stronger Child programs. She received her master's degree in recreation therapy from the University of Utah and her bachelor's from Brigham Young University. She's an amazing mom and loves spending time with her husband and three kids. And together they live in Texas. Welcome, Dina. Thanks for having me. So we use your books in our home. They've been floating around. I leave them out. My eight-year-old has read all of them. He just picks them up and starts reading them. And then I try to process the information with him and read them together as well. So I'm really grateful for the work that you do. What motivated you to start your nonprofit, Educate and Empower Kids? Uh, Well, a few years ago, I was reading a Facebook article about teen porn consumption. I couldn't believe it. It was so shocking and just so surprising to me, the accessibility, the level of pathetic sexual knowledge that these teenagers had, huge lack of intimacy education that they had received, the inability to talk to their parents, that it just kind of shocked me into action. I started researching, I started looking for parent resources, and I felt like there wasn't a lot out there, if anything. I felt like most of it was either very fear-based, very shame-based, and just not practical at that time. My oldest was in middle school. I had two in elementary, and I just felt like I got to do something. I just got to talk to every parent I can. I made this promise with myself. I was going to do anything I could, even embarrass myself, uh, do things I've never done before. I can't count the number of times I've said, I don't know what I'm doing, or I haven't done this before, but here I go. I'm going to do it anyway. That's just kind of snowballed into our part of this movement in helping people understand what true healthy sexuality is, warning parents, but also empowering them with simple tools. I appreciate that about your books, especially 30 Days of Sex Talks. So I've actually done 30 Days of Sex Talks with my two sons. They are eight and five now, but at the time that I did it, they were six and three. And it was awesome. They loved it. And I'd pull out the book and I'd say, we're going to do 30 days of sex talks now. And they'd be like, great. (laughs) Just the fact that my kids can say sex. I'm really proud of that. And also the other morning, my five-year-old got up really early. And so I was just sitting with him and talking. And I said, we can talk about anything. We could talk about sex. We could talk about baseball. We could talk about the sandbox. We could talk about your friends at school. We could talk about masturbation. You know, I just threw in like random different words from the look on his face and his body language. He was completely relaxed as I went through every single one of those topics. And he decided he wanted to talk about Legos, which was fine. But I just loved that he had heard those words before. It's an ongoing conversation in our home. And It's that way, thanks to the work that you've done and the fact that I've been able to use some of your programs in my home. So thank you. 
when she said it, that's exactly how it should be. It should be that simple. Having a conversation about masturbation should be as simple as talking about Legos. That's a really helpful frame for a lot of parents who just haven't even conceived of that. Our parents were not taught to teach us that way. Mm-hmm. And so it's a little bit of a leap for a lot of parents to realize that, you know, wait, this doesn't have to be awkward. This can actually be a great conversation. When we first started writing the books, all of our board members were trying them with their kids every board call, we we cannot believe the conversations we're having. We're planning for five and 10 minutes, and this is turning into a 45-minute amazing discussion. And that was a reconfirmation to us that we were doing what we were supposed to do, and that it was a needed resource. The other thing I like about it is that you can talk about it at any time. You can talk about it in the car. You can talk about it while you're walking down the street. You can talk about it while you're folding laundry. It gives the impression that this is something that we can talk about at any time. It doesn't have to be this particular, you know, set perfect time to have a talk with our kids about sex, you know, which means that they would also be like, Oh, when can I ask these questions? Or when can I talk to my mom? Is now the right time? I don't know. But in our house, it's always the right time. Anytime is fine. Right? We do encourage people if they want, and if they can, to plan ahead for maybe a few minutes, but to not create an event because it needs to be simple enough that our kids can recreate it. Yeah, maybe it does happen in the car on the way to dance practice, or maybe it is on the way home from school. Maybe it's walking to the park. Maybe it's family night. You know, maybe it's at bedtime. Maybe it's at dinner. But it should be something that they can do, that they can bring up because they realize it's just as casual as talking about what shoes to buy or this new Lego set I want to buy. It should be that simple to bring up with mom and dad. And I don't think that makes sex casual. I think it means that it's a super important topic that we can bring up at any time, right? It's not to say that it's a casual thing. They're not going to remember everything we teach. They're going to remember our tone Mm -hmm. and our level of care. I cannot remember a word my mother said about sex, but I just remember how positive she was and how she was able to talk about it in just such an excited way, even after my parents were divorced. And they had a very ugly divorce. But my mom was able to still talk about sex with her values that she wanted us to wait for, that it was worth waiting for, that it was something awesome and special. And that was something that I was able to take with me my whole life and use as basically the backdrop. So when I did get sex education at school, I still had this balance of how positive that she had been about different things. And that I also knew that I could come and ask her any question. At that time in the 90s, when I was a teenager, you just usually didn't ask your parents about oral sex. But I remember asking both my parents about it and they were both very casual, but that didn't make it seem like it's like sneezing or shaking hands, you know, their tone and the level of discussion. It was, I could realize, okay, this is not something I'm going to readily do at the end of a date. I understood the importance of different types of sex and we can still have that impact in a casual conversation. If it's an important topic, you can pull the car over and turn around and look at your kids and let them know like, this is really important, or this is something amazing and special, or you are amazing and special. Maybe you're going to be talking about bodily integrity. You're not going to do anything that makes you uncomfortable or because somebody pressures you. I've had conversations with my kids and I remember when I told them someday it is not something you're just going to do lightly. It is a privilege to be able to share that part of yourself with somebody. They should feel privileged. And this was just over dinner. You know, this was not a planned discussion, but it came where I was like, I need them to know that they're special people and that this is a special act. 
again, it was not planned, but I remember the surprise on their face because it had never been framed in that way to them, obviously, at school. As you know, they were already having different levels of sex at uh, school because they were a little bit older at that time. You know, you can make that impact even in a casual setting. So... Educate and Empower Kids has several new books out. Was there anything in particular that inspired you to write the new books? So we have two books on body image, one for boys, one for girls. That's the Messages About Me book. And then plus the Petra's Power to See, so that's about media literacy. Those kind of were being formulated together. We started out as an anti-pornography, healthy sexuality organization only. That's all we talked about the first year. But we saw the needs of parents and the questions, the fears that were coming with apps, social media, bombarding our kids that we realized, okay, we need to address more. But then we were also realizing how these are totally connected to pornography and the dangers of pornography, how pornography and other media damage our body image, how they just make us feel so terrible about ourselves. Even when we haven't seen it, you know, what our partners might say to us that can threaten or harm our body image. The Petra's Power to See, that one is about reading images and media in the culture. So it addresses social media. It addresses pornography briefly. It talks about advertising and books and movies and what media is, how we can deconstruct it. These are critical, critical skills for kids. One, because we're living in an image-based culture. We're no longer living in a print-based culture, which we're getting most of our information from videos, from images. Our kids need to be able to read those just as readily as they might read a book or read a comic book or read a picture book. They need to be able to quickly and concisely break those messages apart. And this is a really tough skill for most of us because, again, for at least for adults, because we were raised in a print-based culture, our brains are trying so hard to make that magazine ad seem real. We see this woman with no pores and no lines on her face, and we start comparing ourselves to her. Even though our intellect, our brains know that is a fake computerized image, we're still comparing ourselves and falling short. That is also what is happening with our kids. As they scroll through social media, all the increased depression, the increased suicide, the increased loneliness, the lack of interpersonal skills, these are all part of that parenting in the digital age that we need to deal with. These books are really important so that when kids are exposed to pornography later on as well, they can deconstruct it. They can take the power away from pornography by saying, okay, wait a second, that's not real. That's not really what women want. That's not really how sex goes down because we've had those conversations and also because they have learned to deconstruct media. But also with the body image books, we're hoping that they've built up their own positive body image. All of our books have discussion questions. We're huge on discussion questions. These discussions that we can reiterate over and over again about what makes us beautiful, what makes us special and important. Again, so that as we're getting bombarded throughout our lives, we've had that foundation with our families, with our parents, with our mothers of building that positive body image, addressing the needs that we see from the parents that we interact with that all of us have been affected with negative body image concerns and that we all are, again, trying to make sense of all this media that is just surrounding us. That was the impetus of those books. The other book, Noah's New Phone, we wanted to take a more positive approach because we have done a lot of work in warning parents about online dangers. 
but we don't want people to be scared. We want people to realize and as we're practicing these things and as I myself am practicing these things with my family, that it's not enough to just warn people. It's not enough to just say, no, don't go to that website. Don't download this app. It's time for us to turn this tide. We have got to start thinking about and instilling in our kids that these phones are not just toys and pacifiers, but that these are tools, that these are agents of change. I recently went to the UN Commission on the Status of Women, and I saw this amazing speaker from Iran. In Iran, it's mandatory for women to wear the hijab. They have to wear it all the time. And so one of her movements is basically to try to get that changed. It's a symbol of a lot of different things, of a lot of the oppression that the women have there. She held up her smartphone and she said, this is my weapon. She came from a town of, she said, 200 families, and now she has 2 million Twitter followers. That is what I want. That is what I want my kids to do. That is what I want all of our kids to do is to see these phones as tools that they literally can change the world, that they can reach thousands and millions of people and make this world a better place. So to me, again, it's not, that's what the book, the focus of Noah's new phone. He has a simple experience at school that's negative and how he kind of turns that around. And then of course there's discussions in there are about like, what are the things that we can create online? Like how can we make, how can we turn the tide? So it's not just like, okay, I know how to avoid pornography. I know how to avoid bad apps, but now it needs to be, okay, how am I going to lighten someone's day? How am I going to make someone happy? How am I going to, you know, build somebody up? How am I going to show support and love and kindness? You know, I mean, I recently even just was telling my kids about your, um, the BTR Facebook page and how this is such an amazing place for women to talk, give each other advice, share their pain. I'm like, that is huge. You know, imagine if we could have more of that authenticity everywhere on social media, you know, that we could have that level of care and concern and, and community. This is what I am hoping that we can start creating within the movement. Okay. Yes. Safety first. Second, we need to start inspiring our kids to turn this around for themselves, for their future. There's just so much good out there that we can be doing. That's like the the focus of Noah's new phone. I read Noah's new phone to my five-year-old who literally has zero access to devices. We are very locked down at our house. And I thought, this is so cool. I'm having this discussion with my five-year-old long before he ever gets a phone. And I also talked to him about when I'm on the phone, what am I doing? And then I explained to him that most of the time I'm working pretty much about 80% of the time I'm on the phone, I'm working. And then 20% of the time I'm connecting with friends or family or other people that I care about. 0% of that time is looking at pornography or surfing the internet. I do read the news every day and I talk to him about that too, just so I can be informed. But I thought, what a good conversation because when he looks at me on my phone and I am conscientiously trying to reduce the amount of time I spend on my phone when I am in his presence, he doesn't know what I'm doing on my phone. He can't see my phone. He doesn't know. And so I realized, wait a minute, I also need to tell him like, these are the productive things that I use my phone for. This is how I use my phone as a tool. It struck me that I was so grateful for that book because I don't think I would have been having that conversation with my five-year-old otherwise because he doesn't have a phone and doesn't have access to a phone. That is exactly right. And that is exactly what I want for parents because how are they going to know unless we've shown them? 
I love that, that you're like, this is what I'm looking at. I'm helping people by doing A, B, and C. Or look, I'm kind of having an argument with somebody on Facebook right now. I'm still being polite. How are they going to know how to have an argument unless we've shown them? How are they going to you know, know how to be positive or to be respectful of people? Right. Unless again, we show them. It's kind of like when my kids were little, I remember I would mop the floor and I would be like, do you see the beautiful job that mom just did on the floor? And now we're all going to be real careful, right? And we're not going to mess up the floor. We are going to do our best to keep this clean. And they'd be like, yeah, okay. In my mind, it was kind of tongue in cheek because I'm like, yeah, look at how amazing your mother is, right? But I also wanted to show them that this is what we do. It's the same thing on my phone when I can show them, look at what I did. But I can also say, look at the mistake I made or look at how I thought that this is what the person was saying, but I really misunderstood. And hey, do you see how misunderstandings happen? And so maybe this is a conversation I need to have face to face. We kind of take it for granted or we just don't even think about all those steps that it takes to behave well online. And they need to see us doing it. They need to see us using it deliberately, that you're showing them, this is the point of this tool. It's not just to play Candy Crush or to watch a movie or to watch a YouTube video. It is to be helpful. It is to get work done. And I think that is super helpful. It's kind of like recently I've been talking at a couple friends who were talking basically about just how, how bad they felt or just how they were sick of, you know, seeing certain hypocrisies in their friends and church friends on social media, just that they were comparing themselves. And I remember at first I thought like, I don't relate to this or I haven't felt that way in such a long time, like that frustration with social media. And then I had to think on that and I was like, oh my gosh, that's because I've been using it deliberately. When I first was on social media, yeah, I was scrolling through, I was saying dumb things and there's nothing wrong with sharing silly things. And because I wasn't spending so much time scrolling and comparing, I don't have those negative feelings anymore showing them the difference between when we have too much screen time and when we use it deliberately. Yeah, I only use social media now for work. I still connect with people that way. And I still have personal conversations. When I say work, I mean, my life's mission of helping women, I don't mean just specifically like what will help BTR. I mean, my life's mission of how to help bring wives of porn users the truth. In whatever element I'm using it, that's my purpose in being on social media. I think having a purpose is very helpful, especially when the purpose is not to look good, right? Especially if your purpose isn't, I just want everyone to think I'm awesome. If your purpose is about someone else, how can I help someone else? Or how can I help an organization? Or how can I progress this truth that I think other people need to know? It makes it a tool. I agree with you. I haven't had negative feelings about social media in a really long time. Yeah. Like you said, having a purpose, having a mission, having a reason for going on. That's something that all of us, every couple months, we need to think and reevaluate for ourselves. You know, what am I doing? I have a 17, nearly 15, nearly 12 year old right now. We reevaluate our media habits all the time as things change, as the semester changes, as habits change, as homework, et cetera. And I have to really think about, well, what am I doing? If, if I expect my kids to live a certain way, then I better be doing it as well. What is my purpose? You're right. And it is so important to just have a true connection. Like I talked to my kids, I'm like, it's not just about like scrolling through and like, like, liking people's posts. Maybe somebody really needs our 
support and, you know, to go ahead and write a private message or to share a sincere compliment. We don't have to change the world in a day. Nobody expects that from us, but it is these by small and simple means that huge things can happen. It just came to me to have it be your prayer list. Be like, who am I going to pray for today? Let me check my Facebook feed. (laughs) Oh, I'll pray for her and I'll pray for her. Her makeup is too perfect. Something must not be quite right with her. I'm going to pray. So like I said in the beginning, 30 Days of Sex Talks is one of my favorite series that you have. Tell me about some of the success stories that have come out of 30 Days of Sex Talks. Some of the big things that we are hearing from parents is, again, how simple it makes it. And that has been my huge thing. You know, Even as we wrote these, there were so many things that like I take for granted in my manner and in the way I run my household that I wanted to you know, kind of give to other people. One of those was breaking it down and making it super simple. I think sometimes people look at the cover or they see the, the title and they're like, 30 days, oh my gosh, I don't want to talk about sex for 30 days with my kids until they open it and they're like, oh, oh, that's simple. Oh, I can do this. And that is exactly what I want people to feel. I want people to look at a few of the layouts and go, oh my gosh, I can totally do this. That is how you should feel. That is how we should feel about sex talks. Or, oh yeah, I hadn't thought about that. That is an important topic to cover. That is what I wanted from the beginning. And that is what I hoped, what I prayed for, what we focus on. And that I feel like has been a huge blessing that that is what we have heard back from a lot of people. It made it so simple. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure where to start because again, we have so many parents that they think they have to start right with the mechanics. That they have to talk about the penis or the vagina right away. And for a lot of parents, that's really intimidating, or they're just not sure how to do that with a five-year-old. And so then we have all these other simple discussions that basically help lead up to that, where there's discussions about safety or a discussion about what does a healthy relationship look like. These are all parts of a sex talk, helping a child know when is it okay to say no. Okay, you don't say no to mom when she asks you to do the dishes, but yeah, you can say no to the creepy neighbor who wants to give you a hug. You know, those can be some of the first conversations if we are intimidated. A lot of parents come back to us with, I was so scared to talk about masturbation, but then I just saw that I can just start with a few simple questions because that's how we framed it in the 8 to 11 and the 12 plus book. You just start out with some basic questions and then you lead with your own values in your home. If you don't like masturbation, then you let your kids know that. We also have other resources on the website that address some of these topics more in depth. That happens to be a topic that a lot of parents are freaked out about. We wrote a couple articles on our Don't Freak Out page about talking to kids about masturbation and then talking to girls about masturbation. That's one of been the best success was just seeing that it's simple, that it really doesn't have to be awkward, that this can be a great experience to bond you and your kids because you're letting them know you can talk to mom about anything. Mm-hmm. And that's huge. That's what we all want as parents is to know that our kids are close to us, that they are comfortable asking us and that they know that we care about them. One of the days that's about consent. And it's been really interesting because I've weaved in the issue of consent with things like Legos, with things like Did you eat your brother's chocolate? Obviously, consent is a sex issue, but it's also just a general interpersonal issue. And I appreciated that about the 30 Days of Sex Talks, too, in that healthy people ask other people for their consent and they give them all of the information that they need to make a good choice. For example, with sex addicts, they do not give their partners 
the ability to give them full consent because often they don't give them all the information. They don't say, I sleep with prostitutes and I view porn once a week and I masturbate six times a week. Will you have sex with me now? Yeah. It's a consent issue. They're not giving them all the information that they need to make a wise choice. And so I'm trying to teach my children and my sons, when you want someone's consent, do you want to come over and play? Give them all the information that they need. When you come over to play, I would really like to play Legos. That's what I really want to do. Do you want to come over and play Legos with me? You know, something like that. So that they get this idea that when you're in a relationship with someone, making sure that they have all the information they need to make a good choice is an important part of keeping it a healthy relationship. I love that. You're not making consent less important. You're just making it more a part of their everyday life. Yes. So that's obvious when they're older. Well, of course I'm going to get a for for sure 100% yeah. Yes, not a maybe, not a uh I don't know that they understand that because they've had that foundation built throughout their whole lives. It should be really simple to understand what yes means and what no mean. And also, what type of information do I need to tell this person? To give them a full picture so we have that full agency. I can't be a true agent unless I know all the information in front of me. I am a Star Wars fanatic, and I'm going to talk about Star Wars every day for the rest of my life. Do you still want to have sex with me? (laughs) Dina, thank you for coming on today. Her website is educateempowerkids.org. On our website, on this podcast episode post, you'll be able to find links to all the books that we talked about, and you'll be able to find links to her website if you can't find them. Go to btr.org. Thank you for being on the podcast today, Dina. Thanks so much, Anne. I'm so happy to say that the new website is finally under control. So please go to the new website and check it out. It's awesome. If you want to know what I look like, there's a video of me on there and I hate my hair. It looks terrible. I kept feeling like I need to look in the mirror and I didn't. (laughs) I recorded and I hate it. Just so you know. Um, Yeah, I'll probably be doing another video to uh, make restitution for my bad hair day. The Betrayal Trauma Recovery Club is going strong. I really encourage you to join. It's the least expensive way to get professional support every single day. Also, check out all of our topic sessions. The way I set up the topic sessions page is also just for educational purposes. So you can see the different types of topics and tools that you need to be aware of in order to establish safety in your home. It's a really good place to just kind of assess the different things that you may or may not be aware of. Many women are not aware that there is an option for therapeutic polygraph, for example, or how separation might work. If this podcast is helpful to you, please consider making a monthly recurring donation to help keep this podcast up and running. You can also donate to our grant fund to provide BTR services for women who are in financial need. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll down to the bottom and click on the button that says make a donation. We also appreciate every single one of your ratings on your podcast apps. That helps isolated women find us because it boosts our rankings on search engines, as well as coming to the site and making comments on our podcast episodes. That also increases our search engine rankings, which helps isolated women find the information that they need to get to safety. Until next week, stay safe out there.